When we think about retirement, we mostly think about savings for retirement. But what happens after those savings are built? How do you convert those assets that you've built up over time into an income stream for the rest of your life? Today, we'll talk about decumulation in retirement savings. Live from our respective coronavirus social distancing outposts, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we, the strategists at New York Life Investments, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team, what we think matters as we manage investment solutions. That includes Mainstay's diversified portfolio series, including the Income Builder Fund, as well as bespoke solutions for our partners. By sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of June 28th, 2021. I hope our listeners have exciting plans for the 4th of July this weekend. Today, we're going to discuss a topic that's equally important as saving for retirement. That is the decumulation of retirement savings. And since it's a complicated topic, we brought back one of our fan favorites, crowd favorites, as a guest today. Amit Soni, one of our portfolio managers from the Multi-Asset Solutions team, has worked alongside Robert on a recent report, which is called Addressing the Retirement Income Puzzle. And that's all about decumulation. So thank you, Amit, for joining us today. Thank you, Lauren. Happy to contribute. All right. Because we have two experts with Robert and Amit, I'll be our interviewer today. And I'll start with you, Amit. When we're talking about decumulation, why did you do this research? Why has this been a focus for our team? Sure. So to put it simply, there's less research on the decumulation side. In the past, people relied heavily on employer-sponsored plans to meet their retirement income needs, but those benefits are much less commonly available now. And workers are individually responsible for accumulating and drawing down their assets over the course of their retirement. On top of all this, longer life expectancy and potentially lower future asset class returns make this an even more difficult task. So overall, it's an interesting area and one of the issues financial advisors and investors have least been able to solve. Yeah, we also know that asset accumulation is pretty straightforward. You save based on your ability to save and you maximize the return on those savings depending on your risk tolerance and time horizon. The time horizon is pretty fixed, but as Ahmed said in decumulation, it's a little less certain how long you're going to live. But a fundamental shift does occur when your paychecks eventually stop. And that's one of the main areas of focus for this research. You have to begin drawing down all those accumulated savings, all those assets, and upon a retirement, we as individual investors have to think about how to get sufficient income, sufficient cash flows from our assets to meet the expected and unexpected needs along the way as you live your life. I see. And for our listeners who are maybe closer to retirement or who work with a financial professional, if you're thinking about decumulation or if you know anything about decumulation and have thought about it before, you might know a common rule of thumb, which is called the 4% withdrawal rule. That is, if you add up all your investments and start to withdraw in retirement 4% of that total in your first year, then in subsequent years, you adjust the dollar amount, whatever you have left, withdraw 4% over time. It's a neat solution. It's a nice rule of thumb. But based on what you both have said, that number might need to change based on some of our different capital markets assumptions. 
What do you say to that, Robert? I'd say that it would be nice if it was that simple, but the reality is, while the 4% rule has historically been a good rule of thumb, given market conditions, the ideal retirement plan, even in those conditions, varies significantly by investor based on a number of factors, including but not limited to the amount of money that they want to leave their bequest and how important it is that they have financial security all the way throughout their retirement. When you add in a lot of unknowns like unpredictable returns and the order in which returns can occur as well as behavioral responses to market conditions and how long you're going to live, it becomes a much more complicated picture. And that's why we wanted to address this topic. We wanted to look beyond the 4% rule. Got it. So my instinct was correct. We have to be a little bit more strategic than that 4% rule when it comes to decumulation, which leads me to a question for Amit, which is what are the biggest challenges in retirement? If we can't use the 4% rule, then what are some of the main things that we need to be thinking about in this question? We discussed this as a preservation area in our paper. And it's a handful of years right before and after retirement when the adverse long-term impact of any sell-off in equity markets is at its peak. Any changes in retirement portfolio in the preservation area can have a profound impact on retirees' income stream for the rest of their retirement time period because assets are at their maximum and are most vulnerable to sequence of return risk. This is a result of a discontinuity in cash flow that happens at the onset of retirement. You suddenly move from contributing to your retirement assets to withdrawing from it. So just like how dollar cost averaging helps us in smoothing out contributions, we need something similar here that helps us in smoothing out this discontinuity in cash flow that we see at the onset of retirement. That makes a lot of sense. So adverse impact to assets, whether it be a market sell-off or some other disruption is always meaningful. It's always important, but it matters a lot more if you're right up near your retirement timeline and maybe don't have as much time to build back from that market volatility. So if that's a major risk, then what do we do about it? How do you manage that potential discontinuity in cash flows? I got this one, LG. It's all about asset allocation. You need to allocate to assets that have an income that can be provided to you as an investor that you don't have to draw down on the principal. And I think annuities are actually a great tool here to mitigate a number of the risks in addition to this discontinuity in cash flows by smoothing out the trajectory of your cash flows. So with an annuity, the first few months of cash outflows are covered primarily through the annuity income. So rather than, as Ahmed said, pulling from your accumulated assets, you've bought into an investment strategy that is providing you income on a regular basis. And it will give you more time for those other invested assets to potentially recover in the event of a market sell-off. Well, I love a good cliffhanger. And so we'll move into our portfolio pause, a segment of the program where we share an investment idea. And I'm sure that our listeners want to know more about the framework that Robert has just teased. So Amit, I'd love to hear your thoughts. If it's all about asset allocation, then how do you determine the right asset allocation? So keeping an optimal decumulation in mind, what kind of metrics do we have to look at? So here first, Investors have to keep in mind that retirement is a multi-objective problem. 
there are trade-offs between shortfall risk of income and desire to leave a crest. In our research, we solve for optimal allocation through a highly customizable utility function for investor satisfaction that balances the trade-off between these two key elements of retirement. It's similar to a mean variance framework, but for decumulation. In terms of metrics, we found several limitations in some of the key metrics that are used in retirement research. So for example, failure rate is a very commonly used metric. It tells us what are the odds of a strategy failing, but it doesn't tell us by how much did a strategy fail or by how much did it succeed. So instead, we use something called a coverage ratio. It's a combined measure of failure rate and bequest. So for example, a coverage ratio of one means income for exactly the number of years in retirement, but no bequest left. A coverage ratio greater than one means more bequest left. And similarly, below one means there was a shortfall of income at some point before the year of uh, retirements were, were completed. Got it. So greater than one essentially means more coverage than just what you expect to need from retirement. And so that extra is what you could leave as a bequest. I think probably for most of our listeners, they'll be bringing this paper to their financial advisor to think about coverage ratios. But one of the things that really stood out to me in the paper was that when you looked at these different optimizations, you know, one of the scenarios that you ran actually suggested a pretty high optimal allocation to annuities of around 80%. That surprised me. So I'm, I'm curious to know a little bit more about why that for some investors would make sense. Sure. So with an income annuity, an insurance company can pool longevity risk across a very large number of policy owners, paying each member of the pool as though they live to their life expectancy with those who die earlier, subsidizing those who live for longer. This is the value of mortality credits. While other similar fixed income instruments can generate interest and a return of uh, premium, only income annuities can provide lifetime guarantee of income as a result of these mortality credits. This is why income annuities, they do provide much more value than these traditional fixed income products, even in a low rate environment. In fact, somewhat counterintuitively, income annuities tend to be a better solution in a low rate environment because the mortality credits represent a larger portion of the total income in that case. That's really compelling. And thank you for explaining, because as our listeners know, while we do expect rates to move up here in the near term because the economy is doing well, a lower for longer environment is one that we've been living in for the last decade. And it could be something that we see moving forward as well. Now, just putting out there that I trust Ahmed's modeling abilities more than I trust most things. And I, I really like this framework. I think, Ahmed, you would be the first one to say that there are always limitations to looking just at quantitative measures or just at models. So is there anything that our listeners should keep in mind if they were to read the paper, just to think about maybe the limitations of a quantitative framework only? Absolutely. Like any other quantitative model, there are several limitations here that we should keep in mind. For example, the model assumes that the income needs grow with inflation, but there could be an immediate need for liquidity because of some emergency, which the model can't incorporate, but this should be taken into account. Also, like a mean variance optimization, the model results are very sensitive to the inputs that are fed in. So for example, if the actual inflation turns out to be more or less than the 2%, which was assumed here, 
the allocation results could look very different. Same holds true for other inputs that are fed into this model, such as asset class return assumptions, investors' risk tolerance, expected years in retirement, et cetera, among many others. Wonderful. Well, Robert, why don't you bring us home and wrap up the portfolio pause by sharing your conversations with clients, the way that you're talking about this and what's resonating for them based on this framework? Yeah, a lot of advisors that we speak to are annuity skeptics. That comes with some misconceptions. There's a lack of transparency sometimes, and that leads to questions around costs and if it's really the best option. The biggest finding I think that we've been able to discuss with clients is that a significant amount of annuitization of assets is optimal for most investors who are approaching retirement. But that does come with a second big finding from all this research. And that's all about, as Ahmed was just saying, understanding individual circumstance is really important for retirement planning. We've only optimized here on two values, as Ahmed said, a bequest and your ability to not outlive your assets. But advisors and investors must consider a range of other financial considerations for their own individual circumstance, like total assets, debt on their balance sheet, non-traditional sources of income that might be coming in, and any planned spending that they have that will make retirement more fun. Advisors can add a lot of value for their clients by understanding these non-traditional financial circumstances that go beyond just simple asset allocation like we've done here. Well, what you two have done here is really innovative and really interesting. So I want to thank you both for walking us through it. And Amit in particular, thank you for joining us today as our guest. We've learned so much. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Coming up next, it's my second favorite week after Fed Week, which is Jobs Week. We'll get the non-farm payrolls report on Friday. And while many investors and economists are expecting better job creation than we've seen in the last couple of months, it's a particularly important report because the pace at which we're adding jobs to the U.S. economy will also determine how much pressure there is on things like wages, which translates to inflation, which translates to Fed week in a couple of weeks. So that's something that we're going to be watching really closely before heading out into a holiday weekend. It all comes full circle with you. And it always comes back to Fed week, LG. For us, we're still working on our mid-year outlook. And we can't wait to share that with all of our listeners very soon. So stay tuned to the podcast. We will bring that information to you shortly. Well, that's it for today. We'll be back next week with more Market Matters, maybe a tease of that outlook. Yes, maybe. In the meantime, let us know what matters to you. If you have questions or topics of interest, let us know on social media. Yes, you can send us your questions or highlight what matters to you by finding us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views on our website, which is newyorklifeinvestments.com and click the Insights tab or the Multi-Asset Solutions tab. Yes, last week we talked about cryptocurrency on the podcast, and there's a great blog on that exact topic up on the website now. But until then, I'm Robert Saren Betts. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. See you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamonts, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. 
For more information about Mainstay Funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with the New York Life Insurance Company. The mainstay funds are managed by New York Life Investment Management, LLC, and distributed by NY Life Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. NY Life Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.